I don't wanna go to work. I just wanna chill and play all day. Look him dead in the face and say, I wish I could just be still asleep while you work. Welcome to season four of the Jobs Blow podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Haas, here once again to share inspiring stories about getting ahead. This week's show is called Body of Work with former WWE wrestler, stuntman, actor, and now fitness professional, Danny Gimondo, aka Danny Inferno, Kid Inferno. I don't know, uh, Danny, if you want to add any names to that. I tried to get as much in as I could. No, I think that's, uh, you did a great job with that. Honestly, there's probably, when I use my my real name, there's been a million variations of the word Jamondo, from Giamondo to Gamondo to Giamundo. So I've heard it pronounced every way, but unless we're going to go there, you did a great job. No, I meant like, I know when I looked up Kid Inferno and the different, those names, there were a variation on on Inferno that went with your name. So I don't know if oh, I, I got, got you. the most popular ones. Yeah, that's probably it. When I broke into wrestling, I was 15 and um, I wasn't really a full mature man at the time. And I just liked the name Inferno Kid, actually. Then once I started wrestling and got into college and things like that, you know, when I'd be working on different various circuits and things, you know, like you can't use Inferno Kid. You're not a kid. Let's change that. So I came up with Inferno, Danny Inferno. And actually, the guy who hired me with WWE, he changed my name to Danny Inferno. Uh, for the time being that I was working for him. All right. Well, so I usually like to start the show with a quote. So I looked for a quote that was specific to wrestling and the world of wrestling. And I found once you've wrestled, everything else in life is easy by someone named Dan Gable. I don't know if you know who that is. I don't. I know Dan Gable. He's a very famous amateur wrestler, probably one of the most famous amateur wrestlers ever, Olympic medalist, uh, very well known. And would you agree with that statement? hundred percent. Not even just professional wrestling, but wrestling being a team sport, right? It's an individual sport because there's nobody on the field with you at all. You have teammates at various weight classes that you work with, train with, eat, sleep, and, and breathe with. But it's just you when you're out there. And there's no other sport. You know, it's the oldest sport known to man, man versus man. And the training, the dedication the heartache, the heartbreak, the emotion, the sweat, the tears, the blood, everything you put into that is just, yeah, everything's easy after that. So I named the show Body of Work because I can only imagine that while you were wrestling, you took a beating. I'm sure your body, you have the scars and whatever problems the rest of your life you might have from doing it. But also I know you are now helping train people, which that's how I got to you because one of my really very good friends is working with you. So that's the name of the show. That's what we're going to be talking about. So I wanted, let's dive in. I know that you were born in Albany, you moved to New Jersey, and that is where your love for wrestling kind of took hold and Talk to me about how, how, how that happened, because I imagine we're kind of in the same age range. I know that I grew up with all the, the guys in my class were Hulk Hogan fans and Andre the Giant. So is that where your love came from or something else? Absolutely. I had no idea what pro wrestling was. You know, I had never seen it, heard of it or anything. And I just moved to New Jersey. I was like five years old. And there was a kid who lived across the street from me. And I went to his house. And he had 
magazines like all on his living room table and they were all wrestling magazines. I was like, what is this? And he's like, this is it's wrestling. Like you've never heard of it. You know, he had this one magazine opened up and it was Jimmy Superfly Snooker. I don't know if everybody remembers him, but um, he actually became pretty good friends with me later on in life. And um, he was jumping off this steel cage onto somebody in the ring at Madison Square Garden. And I was just like, what is that? And I thought it was the most amazing thing. And right there I was hooked. And I was looking at the, remember the old UHF channels where you'd have to scramble the TV. And I was digging through that every night, you know, to find wrestling and it would come in like once in a while. And then I, you know, I saw WWF then was on TV and the AWA, the NWA, all these different things were on television. And I was like, this is insane. So that year I signed up for rec wrestling and I didn't know what I was signing up for. And I figured I was going to walk in and see Jimmy Superfly Snooker standing there and there's going to be a ring and we're going to get in the ring. I was very um, disheartened to learn that there was these very hard wrestling mats on the floor and there was no ring and Jimmy Snooker was nowhere to be found. But I said, this is what I want to do. And I knew from there, like, I wanted to be a pro wrestler. It's, when I was a little kid, when people were like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like, I want to be a pro wrestler. And people would laugh at me like, really? You can't, you're never going to be able to do that. Or, you know, that's stupid. Just uh, started writing history then, I guess. Right. And so then I know in your bio, I think you said you were 15 when you started training. Correct. I was a very tall, lanky kid after hitting a growth spurt. And I had a pretty successful uh, amateur wrestling career up until that point. And I had won second in the States, fourth in the States. I had won dozens and dozens of districts, regionals and competition medals and, and things like that. But, um, you know, I knew I really wanted to wrestle. I was 15 and my wrestling coach at the time, I told him I'm going to go, I'm going to train to be a pro wrestler. And like your body's not even like in shape the way you should be. And I had, lo I had lost my kind of passion for amateur wrestling at the time because I hit this growth spurt and I didn't know how to wrestle at my size anymore because I was tall and lanky instead of being shorter and stockier. And so I wasn't doing as well. So I kind of started getting disheartened and losing my interest in it. And he, I remember him telling me, he's like, you're never going to make it to where you want to go. Why don't you just stick with this? That's a stupid thing to do. But I found out about a pro wrestling training school in Lake Hiawatha, New Jersey. And from getting my way, maneuvering my way into the business a little bit and um, meeting some people, I found out about this wrestling school. I lied about my age, said I was 18. My mother would drive me there until I you know, met friends that would pick me up and drive me there to learn how to, how to do this. And at the time, New Jersey had a state athletic commission. So when I had my first match at 16, I had to lie to get a license or the promoter would like hide me and the state doctor and, and state would come in, do all the licensing. And then I would go into the ring, wrestle first match while other people are getting checked out, come back, change and be done. And, you know, start like that. And then I started traveling all over, you know, from 16 years old, I was going to Pennsylvania, Delaware, Massachusetts, you know, so my, like during high school, I, I wasn't a normal high school kid where, you know, on the weekends I was out having fun and, and chilling and my friends, I was traveling all over. And even my senior year in high school, I even went and did a tour in the, in the South. I went through 12 different states over the course of a month uh, with somebody I was traveling with at the time and um, just started getting my name out there and, and doing everything I could to start getting into magazines and, you know, the pro wrestling magazines and had color pictures in magazines. And it was insane. And I remember like, I didn't go to my prom. I went and wrestled in Massachusetts and drove from Massachusetts overnight back to prom weekend to Seaside, Seaside Heights, New Jersey. And um, from there, on that Saturday, I drove from Seaside to Cherry Hill. Oh, Cherry Hill, yes. 
wrestled in a really big show there in Cherry Hill on my prom weekend, then came back to Seaside and like hung out for the rest of the weekend. Cause that, that was how I basically did everything. And even through college, same thing. Every weekend I'd be wrestling. So I was never really back, but I tried to like rush back to get to a party or something. I was already working for the WWF back then in 1997, I had, you know, started. So I was in the Philadelphia uh, Spectrum, and Madison Square Garden, Meadowlands, you know, all these arenas. And I, they'd book me everywhere all the time. So I could be Monday night wrestling in Philadelphia at the Spectrum and then be back at the bar like by 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. You know, I was I would bartend. And my matches from WWF would be on the TV oh while I'm bartending. So it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. So then did you ever wrestle for your schools or were you always doing some sort of other type wrestling? So I wrestled for um, rec wrestling all the way up until eighth grade. Okay. Um, and then I wrestled for Lodi High School for the first year. And then I quit after my first year, I won like the novice tournament and I just didn't, like I was telling you, I wasn't winning as much and I just lost the interest in it. I just really wanted to do pro wrestling. So I kind of quit right then and there and uh, quit all the other sports I played. You know, I tried football. I didn't really like, you know, baseball I loved, but I wasn't very good. The only thing I was really ever good at was wrestling. So once I started doing pro wrestling, I'm like, I'm not going back to amateur wrestling. I'm starting to make money. I'm starting to get my name out there. This is too much fun. I'm meeting and wrestling all my heroes from when I was a kid, you know, so it was great. So let me ask you as someone who, as I mentioned before, the show is not all that familiar with wrestling, amateur wrestling versus professional, which you prefer to do. What was the big difference? I mean, is it Um, more, are there more rules and restrictions in kind of the amateur and school stuff that you were having to do as opposed to the professional where maybe it's more of the theater that we see on television? Honestly, the training difference, you know, sometimes when you look at a guy who's a professional wrestler on TV or back in the day, you'd see this really crazy looking guy who's 400 pounds. Those guys may or not have trained like an amateur wrestler. An amateur wrestler, like I said before, I mean, you, your calisthenics, your cardio, everything has to be, you have to be in shape. And there's nothing that prepared me better for pro wrestling. Amateur wrestling, yes, has different rules, right? You're not allowed to kick, punch, eye gouge, that kind of thing, you know, and there's certain rules and regulations to the sport, you know, what constitutes a pinfall or, you know, you can't use submissions in, in amateur wrestling, you know, depending on what's freestyle, Greco-Roman. So different types from pro wrestling, there's more theatric. You're cooperating more with the person you're working with. You're not trying to hurt them or kill them or paralyze them, which can all happen and has happened, all that in the ring. But you're looking to be able to make a living and do this day after day. So if you're going to headbutt somebody in the face for real, obviously no one's going to want to work with you. And (laughs) the person that you've done that to can't make a living for themselves the next day. So it's more of a cooperation and a lot of theatrics because that's what brings, you know, obviously the storylines and the different wacky characters and good versus evil dynamic that draws people to to it. It's very exciting. I'm not going to say that even though I love amateur wrestling and I love watching it, I don't discredit it one bit, but it's a little boring at times to watch if, if you've ever turned the TV on and, and watched a little bit. It's not very uh, entertaining as far as a sport would go, but um, wrestling is very, especially nowadays, even since the 80s and, and up, you know, is a lot of glitz and glamour. It just keeps continuing to get bigger and bigger and bigger with more laser lights and, you know, effects and it's a show. The thing that I remember about the boys in my school when they were trying to make weight, this they would spit a lot 
and in class on the floor. It was pretty gross. That's what, that I remember in the movie Vision Quest because everybody was obsessed with Vision Quest. Everybody was. I love Vision Quest. Yeah, we're doing that too to make weight. You know, I remember every tournament I'd be like two pounds over in the morning or something. And I used to sleep in a trash bag. Ooh, now that if they were doing that, I didn't know. Maybe it's against the law to do that. Like if somebody knows that you do that, it's not recommended. But they used to make these suits. I'm sure you've seen them like those silver jumpsuits back from like the 80s and 70s, like workouts and stuff. And they basically they work because they don't breathe. It's like wearing rubber on your body. Oh, my God. And you can suffocate your body. Well, I didn't have the rubber suit, so I'd make the rubber suit. And I used to take trash bags, cut holes in it, put it on. And then wear sweatshirts and blankets and everything and sleep in that and work out. And so I would wake up the next day and make weight, but spitting and all that kind of stuff, you know, or it could be Friday afternoon. I'm at elementary school and I remember it's pizza day and knowing that I had to make weight the next day and I would chew pizza and then spit it out just so I didn't get it, but I wanted to taste it. And you would just do all this crazy stuff to yourself. Which is like eating disorder type stuff, quite honestly. I mean, yeah, if, if a girl told you she was doing that, you would be like, okay, we need to talk. Yeah. And, and you know, what's crazy is like, I remember at the time, like parents just let their kids do it. You know, it wasn't like, oh, you know, this might cause you to have a stroke and die. <laughs> you know, it was, but then again, I think times obviously were different for us growing up. And because uh, you say that, times have changed. <laughs> Yeah. In the eighties, my mom would have my brother and I wrap her in saran wrap. Like that was going to help her lose weight. She was eating the pizza though. Let's be honest. She was not Mm -hmm. just spitting it out. So on that subject, I know you said at one point you were tall and lanky, right? But when I looked at your stats, your height and weight, what are you? Six, five, six, four, six, six, four. So there's the tall, but you, I think I read two forty. Is that? Yeah, I mean, I fluctuate. Right now, I'm about 250. I've been all the way up to in my, you know, my best shape days of when I was really doing dieting and working out, and that was my living. 235, 240 was my good weight. But I've been even as, as high as like 330 a couple of years ago. I had stopped working out and just let myself go, and felt horrible and depressed. <laughs> Yeah, I got my weight all the way up to 330 and I had to bring it all the way back down. You know, so now I'm in the 250 range. Yeah. But as a wrestler, when you switch weight classes, is it a different way of wrestling? I mean, is it, you know what I'm saying? Because it would almost be like wrestling with two different bodies in some cases. So yeah, that was the problem I had with amateur wrestling is because I had gotten this growth spurt and there was a different style to wrestle if you're tall and lanky versus how I was like muscling guys when I was a little bit younger than that. So I had to reteach myself. And, and like I said, I just really, as a kid, you know, a teenager wasn't as interested in it anymore because I wasn't as successful. And not that I never worked hard because once I got into pro wrestling, I worked, I worked my ass off, excuse my language, but worked my ass off to get to, you know, where I wanted to be. And that meant changing my body, working out the diet, spending days on the road, living in my car, doing what it takes, you know, like the starving active stuff, you know, it's, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into that. Sometimes I was dead broke, had no money, wondering why I'm doing this to myself. And I've had four knee operations. I've had two shoulder operations. I need another one on my other shoulder now. I've had my nose fixed. I've had just a myriad of physical issues. And not to mention, you know, mentally, you know, what it does to you. It's a, it's a very rough, rough business. 
the good thing with pro wrestling is there's really no weight class. You know, you can be wrestling somebody who's 200 pounds and you can be 300 pounds. At different times, they've created different classes, so to speak, like a light heavyweight and cruiserweight with heavyweight just to kind of split up the roster, make certain matches a little more exciting and more fast paced with the cruiserweight stuff. But there's really no guideline or professional guideline as far as pro wrestling goes of weight classes and things. So I know in 2004, you became full-time with the WWE, correct? So when you mentioned sleeping in your car and those struggles, was that leading up to becoming full-time with the WWE? When when you become full-time, do you get a paycheck regularly or are you just paid when you actually wrestle? How does that work? When I started working for the WWF, which later became WWE, I got a per diem basically. So every time that they called me, I would get what's called a draw every night that I worked, you know, and that draw could be anywhere from $200 to $500, depending on where I was and my position or whatever it could be. As when I got hired full time, I got a contract with, you know, a guaranteed salary. And then there's other things, you know, as far as merchandising and every time that you work, you know, I have a downside guarantee every paycheck every week. And then depending on how much I worked or didn't work, then there's other checks, you know, that that would come in from, a live event or I did a video game for them and I'd get checks for that. So the ways to make money vary and it's very different having a contract versus no contract, you know, because you're not really with the company when you don't have a contract. And even if you come in to do a tryout or even one event, two events, and they're taking a look at you, you're not an employee, you know, or even an independent contractor, which you sign on to be. It's, it's kind of crazy, but everybody's an independent contractor, not an employee. So you pay your own taxes, you pay your own expenses and all that kind healthcare. of stuff. Yeah, healthcare, everything. Which of course, healthcare, you guys definitely needed that. That's not yeah, something you could go without. The one good thing they do have now is um, they pay for your surgery. If you had something like I tore my quad tendon when I worked for them and they paid me for that and fixed it for me. And I had a really good surgeon that you know did that. Healthcare though, they don't pay for you to go to the doctor, health insurance, anything like that. They do have a wellness program, you know, so if you ever got into problems, uh, mental depression, drug abuse, alcoholism, things like that, they'll cover you, pay for your rehab and things like that as a, as a wellness program, but insurance, no, everything's on your own. So the mental health piece that you brought up, I was actually thinking about just because I know with China and some other wrestlers, do you attribute that to the pain and getting hurt and turning to ways to soothe the pain or is it bigger than, I mean, is it, it's a rough business and people suffer? Like, where do you think it stems from that problem in that industry? I think it's a bit of both or all of the above because you are beaten up. Nowadays, WWE has a, like their wellness policy also has, you know, like drug use. So if they test you randomly and regularly, it's like, I felt like every two weeks you're just asked to pee in a cup. And they, I mean, they go from everything from steroids to pain medication, name it. They test you for everything. Blood work is done all the time. It's a much different approach now, but it doesn't mean when you're off the clock with them or you don't have a contract with them anymore, you know, that people aren't turning to pain medication or becoming addicted to that. A, because of the, yeah, it is a sport that's brutal on your body. Travel's brutal. I think that's the hardest part of it is working and then driving two, 300 miles to the next town and then getting on an airplane and flying here and then doing it all over again every single day, living out of a suitcase and that sort of thing. But it's, it's very taxing. The other thing too is, let's face it, mentally in all walks of life from pro sports to entertainment, but any walk of life, people suffer mental 
issues. I think that just encompasses it. The, the thing in wrestling, though, is you can go from being nobody to famous to nobody. When the lights kind of dim down and you're back to being a Danny Jamondo instead of a Danny Inferno, sometimes people can't really cope with that. You know, and I think that's a big part of it. And it's numbing those kind of things like addiction and alcohol and drug use. And unfortunately, we've seen it in, in all walks of life, but more or less, it always gets spotlighted in entertainment or sports or pro wrestling because these people are role models and public figures. And you see them suffer basically on, on television or, you know, in the public eye. So it draws light to it. Right. Well, and you're often drawn to all of those things because of the attention right? You like the adulation. You, you like all of that. So when it's gone, yeah, it's difficult to deal with. And also you could be somebody, you know, Gary Coleman. I actually just interviewed someone who does works with child stars, but Gary Coleman, at one point in his life, he couldn't go anywhere without being recognized and probably given whatever he wanted. And that's a lot on a kid. And then you grow into an adult and it's gone. And how do you even deal with that? I mean, it's a lot. You really have to, you have to have good parents who hopefully as a child helped you along the way and uh, to understand and learn. And unfortunately, that's not always the case, right? It's rough. I worked for a very long time to get to where I was. And when I was released from my contract, I suffered part of that. You know, I was basically, I had moved to Atlanta, Georgia and had bought a house. And one day I'm employed, the next day I'm in alone in my house. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Luckily, I went to college and, and I had, you know, passion in, in the fitness industry and that sort of thing that I could fall back on. But for quite a while before I got my footing again and um, got back into like not only wrestling other places, but getting myself back into fitness, you know, and, and to what I love to do. Some people don't have that. Either they don't have the drive sometimes or they don't have anything to fall back on. Because, you know, it's, it's sad when I mentioned Jimmy Superfly Snuka and one day you're on top of the world. And I, I used to stay at his apartment and he lived in New Jersey towards the end of his life. He didn't have, I remember wrestling him 10 years ago and he was still wrestling like in his sixties. Oh my God. And it's like, why? He didn't know anything else. Right. You know, and he, if he needed to make money, he could only be Jimmy Superfly Snooker. He was still wrestling, you know, his body was beat up and he was older and, and he was a nice guy, you know, and I know he had some legal troubles with things and, and stuff from the eighties, but he was a nice guy. And I always felt bad when I saw like veterans like that on wrestling shows, still like getting in the ring or still sitting there, you know, selling their stuff with their pictures from 30 years ago. And there they are dressed up in like part of the, the outfit to look the part. And to me, it's like sad. Yeah. And I, I never wanted to be that person, you know, so don't get me wrong. I didn't have the success and fame and claim that Jimmy Superfest like I had, but I always thought if, if I can't go out there and do this and it's embarrassing that I meet that I'm now becoming a, parody of the parody, yeah. then it's to me, it's not worth it. Well, you see that more and more often with football players opening restaurants and people are identifying side hustles and different ways to once their career ends in that sport or whatever it is. And so they have something to fall back on. I think you see that more now than ever before. Oh yeah. I think people are a lot smarter now with investing their money. I mean, a lot of those guys made a ton of money. And a lot of them have no money now, you know, because they didn't know that it was going to stop just like that. Right. You know, it could be one day, like I said, and it was funny because in the early 2000s, I remember wrestling at Madison Square Garden. The next day I was like in a barn and I'm not even kidding you. Like they had these, you know, independent shows. So they're like, 
basically a promoter just puts on a wrestling show and charges tickets and you know but i remember saying like it's crazy because i was like getting dressed like in this barn and like an outdoor it was like a fairgrounds or something and it was like three states away and i'm like yesterday i was in front of twenty thousand people today i'm in front of 200 people maybe and i'm getting dressed in a barn and like literally there's horse 10 feet away from me it was crazy it's like but maybe that's what kept you grounded right i mean yeah yeah because you know i mean any day it could be over you know but then the same thing with like injuries and things you know there's some days i'd be blew my knee out and guess what now i'm not wrestling for six months you know so it's a wake-up call you know especially nowadays i said i think people are a lot more prepared for that i hear a lot a lot of guys who make the money even go that don't make the ton of money but this is this quote-unquote supporting cast they take what they make and they invest and invest in it and they have other things going on they're going to online school and they're doing stuff while they're doing all of it so so your timeline in 2004 you were full-time with wwe how long did that last? Uh, around three and a half years. Okay. And was that what you were referring to when you said you bought the house in Atlanta and then it ended? Yes. Okay. And so when did you get your, when did you get your college education in, in kinesiology? Was it kinesiology? Kinesiology. Yeah. Exercise physiology, and fitness management. I went to Rowan University in South Jersey from 1995 to 2001. Okay. So you went to school and continued that pursuing the professional wrestling at the same time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And actually I remember back in the late nineties, I had an offer from WWF at the time. And that was when they were you know, hugely popular from Stone Cold Steve Austin and the rock and, you know, Dwayne Johnson, you know, and he's, the, the guy had asked me, he goes, if we were to sign you, would you leave school? And I was like, yes. And he goes, all right, you need to finish school. He became a very good friend of mine at the time. And um, he's like, you're finishing school. He goes, you can always get a job here. Fast forward a couple of years later, I was told we're not going to hire you. And I was like, so let down because I'm like, why didn't I take the job before? But I moved myself and asked about sleeping in the car. They had a minor league system, just like the pro baseball has the minor leagues, you know, for the major league baseball, you know, down in Florida or wherever. I moved myself, put everything in my car that I had, sold like basically everything in my apartment. And I drove myself to Louisville, Kentucky, where their minor league was. I knew one of the guys there just, I had made connections over the years and he said, yeah, come work out with the WWF guys and see if you can get hired. And it took me a year from 2003, but WWF told me we're not going to hire you. And I said, I'm going to get hired and talked about the dream and making it. I wouldn't take no for an answer. So for a year, I didn't hear from them at all, but then I was right in their face on their television shows, working with all of their guys. And a year later, I remember I was an extra. I got brought to Cleveland, Ohio. I wrestled Olympic gold medalist, Kurt Angle. I don't know if you remember him from the uh, 1996 Olympics. He won the 1996 Olympics heavyweight uh, with a broken neck at the time. So I wrestled him on SmackDown, uh, one of the WWE shows. And I came back from that match and I got hired. I got offered a contract that day. So it's just a lot of times taking no for an answer is just not acceptable. So... Once you got hired by WWE, did that mean you just appeared on their national televised show? So at that time, I had to report to the the minor league that I was already in. Okay. And was established there because they have their television. That was on the WB network down in like Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana. And we had a very high rated show. So they want you to finish out there, get a little bit more groomed, develop character, that sort of thing. But yeah, there's times that you're appearing on 
most of the stuff I appeared on was their uh, syndicated shows. There was like shows on Saturday night at like 11 o'clock. They're not the highest rated, but they go all through syndication. They're post-edited shows. So like Raw would be live on Monday night, SmackDown's live. And these syndicated shows that tape right before Raw and SmackDown, you're there on the show, but those matches are taped and then used and canned and edited and sent overseas and through different markets all over the U.S. So I mostly did that kind of thing. Like I said, I, I did a video game. I didn't appear as a character, but I wrestled and did the motion capture for six different characters on the show. So I got to do a lot of cool things by being in a contract. Like I said, I never made it to the level of a big name guy, but I had the job, I had the pay, and I was there making a living for quite a long time. Well, my brother was a big wrestling fan, and I asked him if he knew your name, and he did because he obviously grew up in Ohio, so <laughs> he would have seen you. Yeah. So I wanted to ask because... You were in the movie, The Wrestler, which came out in 2008. How did that happen for you? Because you would have been let go from WWE, right? So how did that happen? You know, with all of the opportunity that I had with working for WWE and establishing myself and my name over the years and making connections, you know, in business and things like that, I was able to do some pretty cool things, you know, like being in the movie, The Wrestler. And actually, as a matter of fact, one day I was working for a physical therapist and we're watching Millionaire. And the question was, what was Mickey Rourke's wrestling name in the movie, The Wrestler? And my name was actually one of the four choices. Answers? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Oh, wait. So that opportunity did come about through the WWE? No, indirectly, let's say, because, all right, Mickey Rourke was being trained by the Wild Samoans who are Dwayne Johnson. The Rock, he comes from this huge wrestling family. And his uncle, Afa, is one of the Wild Samoans. They were the WWF tag team champions back in like the early 80s, late 70s. So they have a huge wrestling family. Jimmy Stupofasnuka is part of that family. Roman Reigns, who's now like WWE's top guy, he's a cousin of Dwayne Johnson. So they were training at their training camp in Pennsylvania, Mickey Rourke. And they called me and said, hey, we need some people for a couple scenes that we're going to shoot. Can you come? And I'm like, this is going to be nothing. And when I got there, we shot for a couple of days right here locally in New Jersey. And um, I didn't know it's time. You know, Darren Aronofsky was the director. director and he's very well known. I'm like, this isn't going to be anything. Why is he doing this? Because the set really was just a VFW and they filled it with extras and fans. And I went and wrestled the match and then in the back. It looked like just a regular pro wrestling show, like on the independent level that I was talking about before, like, you know, small show. I didn't realize that's how they were trying to shoot it, to be gritty and documentary-like. Yeah. Like the lighting was nothing spectacular. Like even when we shot like a locker room scene, it was cramped. And I remember it was freezing cold. It was raining out. And they had the doors open to get all these cables in for the, you know, the lighting and everything. And I'm like, this is just going to be nothing. And I was freezing. I had like my jacket on. I was like standing in the back and stuff. And I didn't realize, but when the movie came out, how much of that raw footage they actually used, there's part of me getting dressed and I'm like tying my boots and I had a Movado on and the, I asked the lady why she kept focusing on me because she was like filming right in front of me. And she's like, I just think it's great that you're in this VFW wrestling in front of nobody and doing this for a living. And there you are wearing a Movado. Like it just shows that like the story of the wrestler was he was fame and loss and trying to always keep holding on to that. 
And we talked about that before, you know, how the sad part, but I had no idea, you know, and then later on, they actually used my name, the promoter who comes in in that scene. He actually says my name, I'm wrestling so-and-so and they show me. So I didn't know I was going to get that much airtime in that scene that I did, you know, and then through that other opportunities came, you know, with more or less like some TV things and obviously another motion picture, which I'm sure you'll mention, <laughs> or if I, if not, I will. <laughs> Go ahead. What was it that you just said though? The second part of that, that you said you thought I'd mention? Oh, just that it led to other opportunities for me. You know, like yeah, I was no, able to t- do some t- television. Talk more about those. those oh, okay. Are- National Geographic Channel did a one-hour documentary on pro wrestling. And the story they wanted was that I wasn't the veteran, like let's say Mickey Work was in The Wrestler, that I was still at the time pursuing my career. So I was kind of middle of the road. I had made it, but not made it all the way where I wanted to. And I'm still pursuing. So they followed me my apartment on the weekends to shows and just saw like what I did and my story. So they actually wound up using, I want to say almost 35 minutes of the hour was all on me. And they had, you know, an up and coming guy and what he was doing to try to break into wrestling. And then they had a veteran guy that they just mentioned, you know, the downfall of that story. So my, my story was kind of time. I was still pursuing wrestling. I was doing tours overseas and trying out with different various wrestling companies that were not as big as WWE, but pretty big where I could make a living. So they were following me all through that journey. That was pretty How cool. long did you do that? They filmed probably, I want to say six weeks because it wasn't every day, but it was when I was wrestling or they came to my house to like see what I do to prepare for a wrestling show and like how I, like an actor, talk to myself in the mirror and, and develop facial expressions and presentation and promo skills or, you know, the talking part of the wrestling and like the storyline part of it and how you improvise that in the mirror. And they would just film me doing, you know, going to a tanning salon, lifting weights, and just kind of how my life was, living in a small apartment, trying to still make it after having a WWE career. So it was cool. Do you cool. feel that they fairly represented you? I mean, yeah, it is a National Geographic channel. So I need to know that at least their reality is reality, since we know so much of it is not. I'll say this. I did a, a reality show, quote unquote, back in the early 2000s, and it was a reality dating show called shipmates and if you remember oh my god oh wait i watched all of those shows back in okay. back in the day well the date with a pro wrestler was me and i was on there Funny. so you've probably seen it if you watch those because i remember i used to watch them like that was my uh right it'd be on at like 10 o'clock at night on yes wait what um, were the other ones what were the I can't, i'm like blanking third wheel okay blind date there was blind, was blind there day, day? Yeah. yeah there was a bunch of them but i got cast on one of those and um <laughs> They tried to make controversy like with you and your date. And it was just like what they showed on on my episode was it was entertaining, very entertaining, but it just wasn't what, what went on. Yeah, it, it well, definitely wasn't what put on. People think they just let the cameras roll. And that's not true. You you each have a producer. They're feeding lines when you're not together. They're saying she said this about you and that sort of. So it's all National Geographic. Literally, they would interview me and they gave a very honest depiction of really what I was going through and of me. Not that it was in a good light, bad light or anything, but they, they, they did a very honest approach to it, which I liked. And actually, I shot a pilot for them. They were going to follow me and my friend all over the world doing various wrestling shows, like me and one of my best friends. And we took one of their cameras to Africa and we filmed basically for two weeks. And they loved the idea. It just wound up never, never materializing you know, from the pilot. Like I said, it's a lot of opportunities and things that were a lot of fun to do that I would never have gotten to do. Like I did a, a movie called peanut butter Falcon with uh, Dakota Johnson from 50 shades of gray. And 
Shia LaBeouf, Yellow Wolf, Bruce Dern, Dunham, Dernham, the well-known actor. Bruce Dern, Laura Bruce Dern. 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 Yes, yes. You know, and had a full, amazing cast. I was cast in that. I did the stunts for one of the main characters, and I also appeared in it. So I got two different movie credits there. And that um, got me my SAG after a membership and all that. So like I said, it's just a lot of opportunity. But I love what I do. And I've been doing, you know, since on and off before my wrestling career. And then obviously after I've been running personal training departments for clubs and as general manager. Currently, right now, I'm general manager for an in-home personal training company. You know, I run five different territories in New Jersey. And like I said, I love what I do, helping people. And I know what got me interested in it, not only the sports, but when I tore my ACL in 1997, I remember the person that worked so hard to get me back to where I wanted to be. And that always stuck in my head of how I can help people. And I just love doing it. So back to the films that you did, I never saw Peanut Butter Falcon. Was there a wrestling piece to it or? Yes. Okay. Okay. There was. They cast me for the stunt person because they had some wrestlers in it. The movie is a about um, a mentally handicapped Down syndrome person to ever headline a major motion picture. His story of like he, he lived in this home for people with his affliction and keeps watching wrestling. He loves this one wrestler. He wants to be a pro wrestler. So he escapes the place. It's pretty funny. It's a heartwarming drama, actually. And he escapes and he meets Shia LaBeouf, who's this bad guy from town and he's on the run from some other thugs so they meet up and they go on this journey on foot to find the peanut butter falcon which is or i'm sorry he becomes the peanut butter falcon the the boy but to find his idol okay all the while shia labeouf is really using him as a cover and then winds up becoming friends with him and befriending him and then when the other main character dakota johnson who's the nurse for this boy finds them the end of the story, she winds up letting them be together and not have to go back to the home and all that. It's, it's a really good story. A really good story. Check that out. I vaguely remember it, but um, so are you, do you have an agent who looks for other opportunities for stunt work for you? Or are these just things that have come up? They're just things that have come up, I guess, through networking and, and being involved for so long. The people I've met, I always want to pursue it more because I love doing it. But when I have a career that doesn't really allow me to leave for a week at a time to go film something, you know, before I did, cause I would just do personal training or once I got into the management side of fitness, you know, it's like when you're working for a company that's paying, you know, salary and commissions and bonuses and things, it's, it's not really, um, it's cool once in a while, but you can't really just pick up and then go act for a week, two weeks to shoot something. I also have a three-year-old daughter. So, and I'm a single father. So it's, priorities, I guess, you know, I would love to go pursue things more. And I think I would do well if I got an agent, but apples to oranges, you know, it's like take care of my daughter in life or keep pursuing something that I was maybe not, I didn't have the most successful career, but I had a career. I was able to make a living doing what I did for a long time, you know, sustain that. And I've got amazing memories and uh, eventually I'll put them down into paper and, and write a book about it because, you know, it's a pretty extraordinary life for somebody who didn't really get the full exposure of a mainstream star. But there's a lot of people in our industries, you know, entertainment, let's say, or sports that are able to make a living and and do well that you've never even heard of. Well, and also to your point, some of the people that blow up, they also blow out and end up with nothing. And yeah, they fizzle. Yeah. yeah. So I've seen it happen a million times. When did you officially retire from professional wrestling? So in 
2012, 2013, I kind of said, right, I'm going to be done. And I wrestled maybe two, three times a year. And I would do something that either I took on that really interested me or something that was for a good cause, a charity or something where I could donate the money I'd make to something. Or So I did that for you know a couple of years. And every time I did that, I would just say, why did I do that? Because when you're doing that all the time, you're in pain all the time, but you can deal with it. Mm-hmm. Your body doesn't get really hurt. It gets banged up, but not, not hurt. When you don't do it and everything starts to settle in your body, just when you start feeling good, you go out and do it. You hurt really bad for right. like a while. And it's, it's a lot easier to get injured. That's you know, that, so, for me, that is what drinking is now at my age. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it, it puts me out way too, too long anymore. So um, it's like the cost reward. Is it really there? You know, it's right. It's, it's not like it was. No, no, it isn't. You Especially know, when you have to start drinking at five and end at eight and then you still suffer the next day. Yeah. So I had, I had done one show. This is probably back in 2015 during those one or two times a year, three times a year that I would wrestle. And I tore my rotator cuff, in my, my shoulder, I had it fixed and I'm like, all right, I'm done. Cause the second time I had my shoulder fixed, you know, different injury, but I can't afford to do this to myself. It was a hard, you know, recovery. And there I was again, eight months later wrestling and very limited. So when I said before, I didn't want to be the parody of the parody. Like I didn't move the same way. I didn't look the same way because I don't do this for a living anymore. So during COVID, the last show I did was in December of um, 2020. And it was a show in Daytona Beach, Florida, full travel taken care of, hotel, food, a really nice payday. It was going to be on a pay-per-view and a a nice big arena down in Daytona. Now it was crowd obviously spread out because of COVID. They only limited tickets, but it was on on a pay-per-view. And I figured, oh, this is going to be fun. And I was wrestling one of the guys that I got signed with on the same day with WWE. He was a close friend of mine who still lives in Atlanta. And I hadn't seen him for a while. I said, oh, we're going to be, I'm going to wrestle him. It's going to be great. And within 10 seconds of the match, I blew this shoulder out doing something I did a million times. And just my body had just at 43 at the time, my body had just said, okay, you're done because you don't do this anymore. And that was it. And I don't think I'm ever going to wrestle again. (laughs) It's sad because I get asked all the time. One of my best friends runs a big wrestling company in New Jersey. He does very well. He works, you know, they had a, a show at the Men in Arena last night in Morristown and he had a convention during the day and he does very well. And he's always like, come wrestle for me, come wrestle, come do something. And I, you know, I've been putting off having this surgery so many times on my shoulder. I'm like, I just can't. And now having my daughter, you know, then getting hurt, it's like cost reward. If I can't make my living doing my normal stuff, you know, then it's not worth it. So I wanted to ask you going back to when you mentioned that you wrestled Superfly when he was 60, how old were you? The first time I wrestled him was probably around that 1997. So I was probably 20. The last time I wrestled him, because I wrestled him quite a few times, was probably 2011-ish. So you were 35 and he was 60. And he mm-hmm. was, oh he my God. Actually, he might have been older than 60. Because, I mean, he passed away a few years ago and he was 74, I believe. 72, 74. So he might have been 65 at that point. So did you, know. you give it your all with him or were, were you? Oh, like- yeah. Well, here's the thing. We wrestled in this armory up in upstate New York, and it's a college town. There's nothing else there. This building in particular gets insane. It's standing room only and serves alcohol, and, you know, whatever. And these college-age kids go nuts. 
you know, they're drinking, having a good time. They're seeing Jimmy Snuka versus, you know, I'm the bad guy. The energy is insane. So when you get something like Jimmy out there, like I've worked with him a million times, so I know his routine and I'm not going to be heavy on him at all. I don't have to lay anything in to look real because I want to keep him safe. He's an older guy and he's very easy on you the same. Now, Jimmy is known for climbing to the top rope and jumping off. But for the last probably five years, he hadn't done that. He would go maybe to the second rope and you'd catch him. He wouldn't do the big splash on top of you. You'd catch him and fall, you know, in in this cross body. Well, Jimmy got the itch that night. And we stayed out there because normally a match with him would probably last about six, seven minutes. He stayed out there with me probably about 30. And every time, like, you know, you're communicating, I'm like, let's take it home. That's a term that we use to finish it and go through like a finishing routine or whatever. And he goes, my best Jimmy Snooker, because it's very gravelly voice. Ah, bro, keep going. And just kept wanting to go and go and go. He was feeling it. And finally, he gave me a body slam and said, stay there. And Jimmy, at 60-something years old, climbed up the top turnbuckle and delivered his huge splash on me, which does not feel good. No, but he lands right on you. Um, So was he always going to win? Like, was it, had you decided earlier that like, I mean, we weren't in a program or anything. People want to see Jimmy Snooker win. They want to see the end the show on a high note. They want to see him beat me. It's kind of just known. You get to a point where nobody has to tell you whether it's a win or lose. You kind of assume I'm the villain going in. I'm the last match in the show, the main event. Jimmy's the guy that everybody paid to see. Right. Um, You know, so it's just assumed, you know, I don't, nobody has to tell me. In other shows, you know, it's a little bit more predetermined. If you have a program with somebody, you're, you know, drawing money, so to speak, you're selling a finish of a match that's going to bring people back to see a return match or something like that. Then you can get into like, this is what we want to do for a, a finishing thing. But on a spot show like that, where it's just a one and off, you know, I just assume I'm going to lose. <laughs> I probably spent 90% of my career losing because that's the position I was in. So would you win more? Or make more money if you won, though? No. No. Okay. okay. No, the only way you make more money is if you put more butts in more seats. Okay. So if you're a guy like Jimmy Snuka, he's usually the money guy because people he's the attraction, right? Right. A guy like me, I have my basic, my going rate of what I would charge a promoter to come in and work, depending on, on what that is. Now, let's say we're working a building that we or a territory that we're running pretty often, two times a week, three times a week, and you're traveling a little bit or you're coming back to that venue, you know, every month and, you know, you're selling, selling out tickets for that. And people are paying to see, yeah, your money can go up a little bit more and you'll make more money. Plus you can also sell whatever merchandise you have of your own. It's very independent. The promoter can do splits with the promoter, or you can, I make all the money on my shirts and my pictures and sign autographs and that kind of thing, you know, and then they pay you a certain rate, what you agree upon. All right. Well, so my last question for you is, would you do it again? You know what? I get asked that a lot. You know, people will ask me, yeah, I've had some of the best times in my life because of wrestling. I've had some of the worst times in my life because of wrestling. Are there things maybe I would change and be a little wiser about in retrospect as an older, more experienced human being? Absolutely. Would I do it again? Absolutely. Okay. And have you ever considered coaching? I have. Again, with the opportunity that had presented itself, you know, I did for a little bit younger pros that were coming up, you know, at a wrestling school, but I do want to eventually 
maybe coach on an amateur level, you know, and, and wreck or something like that. I would love to, to be a part of that. I, I think that would be great. You know, again, it's finding time, especially now with a three-year-old daughter, as she's getting into those sports years, you know, I already see her developing like soccer and, and things like that. She's very active and loves running. And she, I mean, she's a, she's a three-year-old, so she's got boundless energy, but she's very coordinated for her age and, and has an interest in it. So I already see like where my weekends and after works are going to practices and meets or games or whatever. So we'll see, you know, I'll see what she wants to do and, and go from there. Maybe I'll coach her. Yeah, I was going to say, definitely teach her some of your best wrestling moves. because She yeah. will never get close to the wrestling business. Let me just put it that <laughs> no, way. No, but for self-defense. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure. Yeah. My biggest fear is like, she would be like, you know what, Daddy? I want to be a pro wrestler. <laughs> no, you don't. No, 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 no. Nope. No. All right. So we're going to move into our game before we wrap everything up. As I mentioned, I don't know much about the world of wrestling. So I thought I'd ask you some trivia about wrestling. Awesome. Okay. Are you ready? Forward. Yeah. Sounds fun. Here we go. In what year was the first WrestleMania held? 1985. Bam. Got it. Madison Square Garden. I don't have that information, so I'm going to have to trust you. Okay. How, how many wins did The Undertaker have at WrestleMania before the streak ended? Ooh. I'm going to say nine, 19 or 20. So close. 21. 21. Ugh. Damn close, though. So I give you a point anyway. All right. Thank you. Which wrestling superstar is a cousin of Snoop Dogg? Sasha Banks. Look at you nailing it. What was The Rock's finishing move called? Well, he had kind of a setup and then he had the second one. It was the people's elbow and then the rock bottom. Rock bottom. That's what I have here. Who was the first WWE champion? The first WWE champion was it? You mean, now let's hold on, because there was WWF, then WWF, and then WWE. This was WWE specific. So I'm going to okay. assume it's WWE, not. I'm going to say Stone Cold Steve Austin. The person's name is Buddy Rogers. Oh, yes. He would be the first WWF champion. Yes. Oh, okay. So sorry. See, no, it's okay. Okay. It's okay. Okay, and so then as I was trying to like be creative with the name of the show and everything, I, I found a list of wrestling lingo. And as I was perusing it, some of it was very shocking. So I'm going to ask you if you know what a blowjob is in wrestling. A blowjob. I know what a blow off is. That was another term I saw, okay. but this is not the same thing. I've never heard something referenced like that. I only know what a blow off is. And that would mean a end to the feud that really went nowhere. They just kind of blew it off like well, without a, a definitive storyline ending of that. Well, just so you know, in the future, this is an attractive <laughs> male wrestler used to attract groupies to events. Oh, okay. I, now I see where that's going. Okay. You can see, you can see why that's yeah. the name, but yes, yeah. it, I was like, wait, what? So anyway, you did very well. Thank you so much for playing. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Thank okay. you. And thank you so much, Danny, for doing the show on this Sunday when you probably have so many other things to do. Do you have any social media channels that you want to share? I do. You know, I don't really have much professional stuff. I mean, the, my IMDB account is up. You know, so you can see some of my other things I've done in the acting world. 
that's imdb.com. And my name's Danny Jamanda. You can just search it. Um, I have my Facebook. I have a professional page for uh, personal training. And that's the uh, same thing. You can search my name on Facebook, Danny Jamondo. Instagram uh, is pound sign or what's that thing called? Pound, right? Yeah. Hashtag? Hashtag. Hashtag, <laughs> this is Inferno. Uh, if you want to check out some like my my pictures, but it's like me, my daughter. There's some stuff in my wrestling career on there. And yeah, I think that's about all I have is Facebook and Instagram. And that's about and it. Jamondo, I'm going to spell it for everyone. It's G-I-M-O-N-D-O. I really feel like you should change it to G-Y-M, though, just given your career path and everything. It just feels you right. That might be a great marketing thing. I never even thought of that. You're kidding me, right? I swear. I swear. Okay. I never have. But I'm like, wow, that, you know what? When you said why, and I'm like, why would you say that? And then when you said the gym, I'm like, you know what? That's actually. <laughs> All right. Know? Well, I am in marketing. So, hey, I, I just, it's, it's a natural thing for me. It to just popped in. See, I'm not in marketing. So, yeah. see, I probably needed like somebody like you during my wrestling career to help me market myself. I might've done a little bit better. Yeah. You blame me. Just blame yeah. me. That's okay. It's your fault. It's all, all right. your fault. Well, this is the Jobs Blow Podcast. We're at jobsblowpodcast.com and at jobsblowpodcast on Instagram and Facebook. This is Brianna, and thank you again for joining us. Have you ever seen a one-trick pony in fields so happy and free? If you've ever seen a one-trick pony, then you've seen me. Have you ever seen a one-legged dog Making his way down the street If you've ever seen a one-legged dog Then you've seen me Then you've seen me I come and stand at every door And you've seen me I always leave with less than I had before And you've seen me But I can make you smile When the blood it hits the floor Tell me, friend, can you ask for anything more? Tell me, can you ask for anything more?